Hello, and thank you for listening to Living Wealthy Radio, heard around the web on livingwealthyradio.com, iTunes, and Blog Talk Radio. I am Teresa Kuhn, helping you live wealthier. Resources are available for you at livingwealthyradio.com. So who runs the world and what can we do about it? Have you ever wondered if the conspiracy theorists were right? What if there really are powerful people behind the curtains pulling the strings of our leaders and manipulating current events to suit their purpose? What if the political process in this country has been undermined and circumvented? If so, what are our options? Can we still exercise our choice and influence in our world? Are we still the masters of our own fate? Well, our guest today, John Rappaport, is an author, investigative journalist, and for decades he has been peering behind the scenes to find out who really runs our world and how we can thrive in spite of all their schemes and plots. He's going to share with us who some of these shadowy powers are and what we can do about them. So, John, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you on Living Wealthy Radio. You're one of my favorite thought leaders out there. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. So tell our listeners uh, a little bit about your background and how you came to be in this area of investigative journalism. Well, it started in 1982. I was writing fiction, poetry, etc., and a friend of mine in Los Angeles said that uh, a newspaper, LA Weekly, was looking for articles and I wrote one and they paid me and that was it. And it seemed very easy. And I thought, well, let's see what happens. And so everything took off from there. I began doing a lot of work for LA Weekly and then that spread to other newspapers and magazines in the US and Europe. And it just seemed uh, that I was in the groove, so to speak, with all of this uh, stories, articles, topics, talking to editors seemed uh, not difficult at all. And so I went my merry way for a few years until I began to see that the assignments that people wanted to give me were not really very interesting to me because I was interested in, for example, who's running things anyway. And that cuts across a lot of lines that traditional media don't want to cross. So that became, I wouldn't say a crisis for me, but it became a choice. Am I going to just write about uh, rehab centers and... uh, you know, stories that are interesting, important in a sense, but don't go very deep, or am I just going to strike out on my own? And so I decided uh, in the late 1980s that I was going to do some other kind of work somehow, some way, and that led to my first book called AIDS, Inc., which was about fraudulent medical research behind the scenes and I guess at that point I was really launched on what people would now call alternative journalism. So that's kind of in a nutshell where it all started. Fascinating. Uh, So interesting. So you never had the intention to 
go out there and dig deep in terms of um, the alternative media. It started out you were in the traditional media and realized there's more behind the curtain than what they're letting me write about, and you just took off on your own. Yes. Even the alternative media at that time, I would say, there were restrictions. You could mm. say you could say a lot, but within certain boundaries. So, mm. independent was the key for me. Eventually, okay, I'm just going to create my own territory here, and let's see what happens. <laughs> mm. Today, I would say there's so because of the internet, there's. A, a much larger population, right, that's into the alternative media. When did you see that shift? Was it with the Internet, or did you see that shift before the Internet? Well, I saw it shift before the Internet, but nothing like the explosion that occurred. I would say I first started becoming aware in the late 1990s that there's a whole new breed of journalists out here writing online. And so year 2000, 2001, that's when I started No More Fake News online. And it's been now 16 years of writing almost every day and publishing almost every day. Wow. Now, you have a particular interest and concern regarding the Trilateral Commission. I just want to jump right into some of these, these topics regarding, you know, who might control, uh, who are the powers behind, you know, our government and our supposed leaders. Um, why the Trilateral Commission? Well, because David Rockefeller founded it. That's the short answer. And he is a major globalist power player, maybe the major globalist power player, by which I mean the elite group somewhat behind the scenes that is aiming to create a new international economic order. That's his phrase. And he's proud of it. He's been proud of it for a long time. And this involves nations essentially giving up their sovereignty to major banks, financiers, transnational corporations. And he founded it with Zbigniew Brzezinski, who is also, I guess you could call him, one of the major theoreticians of globalism. And so my antennae went up long ago. This group, the Trilateral Commission, was founded in 1973 and was basically responsible for putting Jimmy Carter on the ticket to become the next president of the United States uh, and really an agent of the Trilaterals and David Rockefeller. My antennae went up because these people were and are talking about the end of separate nations under one global management system, economic, political, even cultural and social. And in order for them to pull this off, they have to torpedo economies of sovereign nations 
because you can't have one system of global management if one or two countries remain so powerful that they can override that mandate. Countries have to be reduced down to a level with others so that they will give in, surrender, overtly, covertly, whatever. And so I followed them. Patrick Wood is an excellent author on this, written a couple of books about the trilaterals. It turns out, for example, bringing it up to today, that Barack Obama appointed 11 trilateral members into his administration. And there are only 87 trilateral members that live in America. So 11 of those, including Tim Geithner, Treasury Secretary, James Jones, National Security Advisor, Paul Volcker, mm -hmm. Chairman of the so-called Economic Recovery Committee, Dennis Blair, Director of National Intelligence, and the U.S. Trade Representative, Michael Froman, who is responsible for getting ratification and agreement internationally on big-time trade treaties like the TPP, the Trans-Pacific Partnership, which only increase the power of transnational corporations and banks. So that's just a little window into how powerful the trilateral forces are in today's uh, presidential administration. So what's the motivation behind them? I mean, they're obviously extremely wealthy. I mean, they're the 1% of the one percenters, right? Um, so the motivation shouldn't necessarily be about money. What, why do they want to blow up sovereign nations to create this global world power? Well, that's like asking, why does a psychopath want control? Because it's in his nature or in his disease, if you want to call it that. It's a compulsion and an obsession. Uh, I've written extensively about what I would call the psychology of these men, because lots of people have the question that you just asked. Obviously, it's not money. They could live on the money they already have for a 100 lifetimes without working a day in their life. So it's control. And I would say the difference between someone who is alive, an individual who is pursuing his or her own goals, visions, objectives with tremendous energy and enthusiasm, that's one thing. On the other hand, you have people for whom there is nothing like that. They don't have those impulses. They don't feel that jolt of electricity of the entrepreneur who is starting from ground zero to launch an operation that will be hopefully extremely successful in the future. There is none of that. Instead, there's a kind of dead zone inside these people, these uh, psychopaths. Their only option in life, their only pleasure, if you want to call it that, is controlling other people. And so they spin innumerable tales and stories and studies and so forth 
to explain and rationalize why it's absolutely necessary to have one interconnected planet under the rule of a small group of people who are the wisdom figures, shall we say. That's the way they live, that's the way they operate, that's the way they think, and they're here. Hmm. Uh, I, I just want to make a, a comment. Um, Brzezinski, um, Mika Brzezinski is the daughter of um, the gentleman you mentioned. Um, their tentacles are everywhere. It's not like these people are behind the scene working in a, um, you know, in, in a vacuum. They, they're in government. They're in banking. They're in the media. They're in every segment of industry in our society. Um, speak to how they engine, social engineer um, are responsible for the social engineering, the changes in our thinking in society. It's fascinating the influence that Rockefeller has had and the Rockefeller Foundation has had over the last 80 years. Yes, I would have to speak for many days to really lay out <laughs> the extent of that influence. Uh, I've written a great deal about what I call the medical cartel and, of course, the Rockefeller family is a key uh, motivator behind that, going all the way back to the birth of of uh, pharmaceutical medicine in this country and in the world. But social engineering, that basically involves victim stories. In other words, how do you take a country that it was originally based on the idea of individual independence, strength, energy, fortitude, courage, striking out on one's own entrepreneurship, freedom from excessive government intervention, and all of that, and how do you reduce down a country like that so that it becomes part of a much bigger operation well you have to in many ways many different ways promote the idea that everybody is some kind of a victim or that more and more people are some kind of a victim and they deserve special treatment and the idea of free individual is passe in fact, the individual himself is some sort of outmoded concept that never really existed. It was a fairy tale to begin with. And the world as it is now is all about the group and the collective. And of course, this fits in very nicely with the whole notion of globalism because they're talking about one collective called planet Earth. And so... People are brought up, they're educated, they're trained, they're indoctrinated in schools from an early age all the way through college to think of the primary mandate of humanity is to serve the victim. And I'm not just talking about people who are really oppressed politically, for example. I'm talking about 
everybody. In other words, the young are now taught, if you want to have any cachet, any status, any kind of acceptance, you have to have a victim story. That's your ticket. If you don't, then you're automatically played over into the category of undeserved privilege, oppressor class, etc., etc. These kinds of categories are not accidental. They don't just occur. They are promoted, propagandized through foundations, through grants, through fellowships to certain kinds of professors who have certain points of view or are willing to adopt certain points of view so that this becomes the major theme of our time, which is happening before our eyes. It is. And with this kind of knowledge, you know, I I think um, based on my reading, I mean, this was something that I, I learned a long time ago and was able to teach my son, who's 20, you know, how, how to filter the messages with this thinking. But I'm listening to you as if I have heard this for the first time. And it makes so much sense. If we think about um, the foundations that are set up for special interest groups, the scholarship and the rewards for special interest groups, and by special interest groups, it could be just simply being a girl um, or uh, race or, um, you know, a certain class, right? We've been taught to see the world through these lens. And the most discriminated group today, I believe, is the white male, white American male. Turning things upside down from the way that they were this is all what propaganda does. It's destructive. It's destructive at its very root. And its real intent is to create complete confusion, conflict, and cognitive dissonance. All over this country, the truth is, there are people of many ethnicities, races, religions, etc., working side by side in jobs, and they get along. They figure out how to get along or they never had a problem getting along because they're human beings and they're individuals. But this is being overridden by what you're talking about here. Let's carve the world up into groups. Let's promote the whole idea that you have no identity outside your group, whatever that is, defined by class, race, religion, ethnicity, whatever. Let's promote the idea that there are no individuals, you see. If you are of a certain race or ethnicity, that's your primary identity. That's what you have to hold on to. That's all you've got. And around that, you have to carve out a victim story that fits with the group that you're in. This is the plan. This is the program, as opposed to guess what? You're you. You're unique. You have abilities and talents and so forth, which if you, 
if you work hard enough, you will be able to bring into the light. You'll be able to make something of your life through your own creative capabilities if you commit yourself to that. And in that way, you will establish your uniqueness as an individual, quite separate from any of this propaganda insanity. So that idea that I just articulated has to be defeated as far as the globalists are concerned On a, in a social and cultural context. That has to be eradicated. Instead, there has to be, as you've described, the groups. You've got this group and that group and this group and that group. and that. Which group do you belong to? Which do you owe your allegiance to? This is what the young are being trained to look for. What am I going to identify with? What group? What special interest? What this? What that? And then, sooner or later, they're going to wake up one day in a blind alley somewhere and realize that the whole thing has been a con. The whole thing has been a hustle designed to reduce their talent, their power, their creative ability, their independent thought, their ability to assess information on their own and make judgments about it, etc., etc., etc. And now where are they? What are they going to do? How are they going to recoup? How are they going to make a new life based on understanding finally that they are an individual. I've written extensively about this from many angles over the years to point out to people what the traps are, what the con games are, how to avoid them. Because we are living in a collectivist planet that has been established not as a law of nature but as a perverse tool of those who only pathologically seek control. And we have to overturn that. That's the real revolution at hand. Hmm. So the Trilateral Commission, um, my understanding is they're only one group, right? There are many groups out there that have leaders that are um, furthering this agenda. Um, but tell us a little bit about specifically the Trilateral Commission. So the Trilateral Commission, give you an example. Jimmy Carter, who was elected president in 1976, was completely off the radar. He was a southern governor, a peanut farmer, nobody knew who he was, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, he was being promoted as the solution to the Nixon years of corruption. Well, this spoke of an extraordinary amount of control over the press because reporters and editors could have said, who is this guy? We never heard of him before. Why should we give him any coverage? Well, the Trilateral Commission had its tongs and still does into the press. 
huge amounts of connections there to be able to promote this guy out of nowhere. And in an article that I, or in a conversation that I have printed many times, which uh, took place, I'm going to pin it at 1978, Basically, this was a reporter named Jeremiah Novak talking to two trilateral commission members, Carl Kaiser, Richard Cooper, and the issue was who exactly during Carter's administration was formulating U.S. economic and political policy, in other words, national policy. And I won't read through the entire conversation, but basically what the interview reveals in a very... Uh, straightforward manner is that the trilateral commission is setting national policy and the trilateral members say what's the problem what's the problem it's common knowledge why should anybody object I mean their casual offhand attitude is staggering I'll see if I can find for you just the end of the conversation. Uh, let's see. Why doesn't President Carter, this is the reporter, come out with it and tell the American people that U.S. economic and political power is being coordinated by a trilateral committee made up of Henry Owen and six others. After all, if U.S. policy is being made on a multinational level, the people should know. And one of the trilateral members, Cooper, says, President Carter and Secretary of State Vance have constantly alluded to this in their speeches. And then Kaiser says, another trilateralist, it just hasn't become an issue. Well, they're caught. They're lying through their teeth. It's not out in the open. Uh, Carter and the Secretary of State have not alluded to this in their speeches, that the entire national policy, economic and political, of the United States is being run and formulated by a committee of the Trilateral Commission. I mean, this is, they're talking about a takeover of the government, of policy, the executive branch. It's just uh, staggering. In fact, Hamilton Jordan, as I think he used to pronounce his name, who was Jimmy Carter's uh, senior advisor, basically said after the election when Carter won, I have the quote here, he said that after the inauguration, if Cy Vance and Brzezinski, trilateral members, come on board as Secretary of State and National Security Advisor, we've lost and I'll quit lost because both men were powerful members of the Trilateral Commission and their appointment to key positions would signal a surrender of the White House control to the commission. Well, Vance and Brzezinski were appointed Secretary of State and National Security Advisor, as Jordan feared, but he didn't quit. He became Carter's chief of staff. Mm. So that's a window into history, and things have not changed. But the staggering thing is, major media covered none of this. They didn't report on this interview. 
it flew completely under the radar. It was published briefly and then just disappeared. Nobody raised any objections. There were no congressional hearings. The Department of Justice did not, uh, you know, pursue an investigation and thinking in terms of arrests and prosecutions. This all speaks to the power of the Trilateral Commission to actually run government policy. And now, with Obama, the trade deal, again, called the Trans-Pacific Partnership, he is their agent, and he is under the gun to do everything that he can to get this ratified by the United States before he leaves office. This is one of his primary mandates. He is another Jimmy Carter, in a sense, plucked out of nowhere to become the next president of the United States and to serve this agenda. Brzezinski was his mentor, Obama's mentor, after he was elected and uh, even before that on issues of foreign policy. Hmm. Amazing. It's mind-blowing. And so... Really, for contrast, our policies, our, our national policies, should be designed to benefit the United States of America. But what's happening is this group, the Trilateral Commission, is influencing policy to benefit their agenda and not the U.S. And their agenda is about globalism. That's right. It's about leveling all of the countries in the world, putting them in the same place so that they have to report to one government body that is the global uh, elite um, before they can make laws or, in fact, create any policy. They've got to defer to another body, not to the United States. And see where this is going, in just in terms, let's say, of, of resources. <clears throat> who has food in the world? Who doesn't? Who eats? Who dies? Who has water? Who doesn't? Who has electricity? Who doesn't? The redistribution of energy and natural resources through a plan, a secret plan, about who is going to benefit and who is not going to benefit, who is going to give and who is going to take. Central distribution points on the planet for goods and services. These are the objectives of the globalists as represented here by the Trilateral Commission to decide. They're playing God. They're playing God. Yes, exactly. And they're proud of it. And they have no remorse about it. They don't sleep badly at night. This is not a problem to them. They just blithely assume that they've got this. And therefore, they're going to exercise the power. And so what they've done for the United States, they've done in every major country in the world. Absolutely. This is not just America. So how does a group of 88 members infiltrate every government in the world? Like how, how can their tentacles be 
so expansive. Let's talk about another group of people. The, what would you call them? The people who are more than willing to sell their souls for money, status, prestige, uh, for... Sounds like Hollywood. Yeah, compliments thrown their way, etc., etc. You've got armies of such people in academia, professors, in government positions, people who are struggling to get appointments to government positions, Hollywood, uh, media, of course. Uh, you know, give me a position and I'll say whatever you want me to say. I'll do whatever you want me to do, basically. It's not laid on the table that way, but it's understood. There are scores and scores, untold numbers of ground troops, as I would call them, many of them very highly educated, capable, etc., etc., who are struggling for more status. They will do whatever they're asked to do by the powers that be. So what you see, if you start to look at this, is kind of an organic growing structure of loyalists to the globalist cause that infiltrate institutions everywhere. Media, education, Hollywood, as you mentioned, economic policy, wherever people, government bureaucracy itself, intelligence agencies. It's like reading the tea leaves. I mean, I faced this. It wasn't a big deal to me because I had already made up my mind. But as a reporter, I could see a different route that I could have taken early in my career. I could have gone into working for different kinds of newspapers, writing different kinds of stories, and I could have worked my way into a very snazzy position, being that kind of reporter who understands what my media operation wants from me and delivers it time and time again, reading the tea leaves. Okay, we're in an era here where we're talking about global solutions to problems. This is not about making America better uh, that's passe. We're, this is all global, all global, all the time. Okay, so any number of stories that I write can take that point of view and mm. present themselves as objective. I could do that with a snap of the fingers. I could do that. I'm a writer. Well, there are many, many reporters who have done just that and would never admit to it. You sell your soul. It's an old story. That's how this small group has been able to get their tentacles into every institution in society. Hmm. What is their end game? Like, where do they ultimately want to take our planet? That's a very interesting question. I would say there are levels of end game. But one of them, which Patrick Wood has reported on, written about extensively, and I've written about from other angles, 
is what I would call technocracy. In other words, every solution is going to be ultimately a technical fix or a solution so that society will be a machine. Computer brain connections, we're now getting into what sounds esoteric, but there's a great deal of research being done by uh, DARPA, which is the research arm of the Pentagon and other foundations and labs, on the idea the bottom line on this is reprogramming the human being. Because to go back to the theme of psychopaths as globalists, how do they view us? Well, they see us as biological machines that are badly programmed, dangerous, unpredictable, that have to be brought into the fold, into ultimately a very tight organization of the planet. Well, that means ultimately mind control, brain control, reprogramming the human race. A vast territory of research. What can we understand about the brain and what can we do to it to make people more uh, subservient, more passive, more willing, more loyal, more... Um, surrendering, less independent, less resistant. What can we, how can we program the brain so that the actions of people become more predictable? Well, there are many crude methods that have already been tried and are being tried as we speak, but ultimately the brain is the target. And if you want to talk about a real ultimate end game of the globalists, that's what you're looking at. That's what they're you know, looking at. You know, this sounds like a bad sci-fi movie, right? It does. But, and it is bad, but it's not sci-fi, at least not from their point of view. What they're aiming for, they're saying, look, social programming, cultural programming, which is already taking place, as we've discussed here, on a vast level so that individuals now are coaxed into thinking of themselves only as members of groups. I mean, that's a, a massive shift right there. But that's on the level of indoctrination programming and so forth. That's really quite crude. What if you could do something like that to the brain so that you didn't have to spend so much money and take so much time with people all throughout their lives. What if you could insert some kind of change or program into the brain so that a person automatically thought of themselves as a member of a group and ultimately as a member of the entire human species coordinated from above by the programmers, the elite programmers? What if you could do that to the brain? Well, now you're talking about Brave New World. The sequence is Orwell's 1984 and then Brave New World. And what Huxley saw when he wrote Brave New World, what he saw in the future was a kind of society that would be programmed from the womb to achieve this kind of surrender and some sort of uh, 
happiness quotient of the human species, scientifically, technically, chemically, biologically. This is very real. This is not just some sort of doofus speculation. This is going on. And one can read many articles. We are really in the early stages of this, but it's happening. Because if you say that the individual has no spiritual aspect at all, scientific materialism, well, the human being is just a physical thing. Well, you know, it's a biological machine, basically, that's all. And how do machines operate? Well, they operate according to how they're programmed. Now, must we accept that this is the ultimate programming of the human being, what we've got now? Absolutely not, because we don't like the programming. There's too much resistance. There's too much craziness and wildness and who knows what. We have to create a better program for these biological machines because that's all they are. They're nothing else. There is no crime involved here in attempting to do this. We're just dealing with these biological machines that are in need of better programming. So I skipped several levels of the end game to get to this ultimate end game, but that's where it's heading. That's the direction that these people want to take it in. Hmm. John, we have so much more we can talk about, and we are running out of time. I want to leave our listeners um, hopeful, right? And positive, because it's so easy to be afraid and depressed uh, once we recognize um, and understand what's going on. And I remember when I first learned about this um, about 20 years ago, I went through a a definite period of mourning and grieving uh, my understanding of how the world worked was completely shaken. It was like I lost my my grounding, my foundation. Um, And so I do want to leave our listeners with something positive. Uh, You have several great programs on your website um, that um, teach people um, how to harness their creative power to create the life that they want. Um, Can you speak on this for for just a bit? Yes. Uh, I can do a minute or so on this. I have to say that, to me, learning about all this was actually very energizing because the bottom line becomes your own creative power, the creative power of the individual. There is, of course, much more to the individual than existence as a biological machine. There is imagination, there is power, there is vision, there is creating a better life, the life that you want for yourself, creating a better life for everybody. These things are the most real things in the world. This is where you begin. In other words, a person would say, okay, so look, my faith, in the world of political power, economic power, such as it is, 
or such as I fantasized it to be, my faith in all of that external stuff has been shaken. It's not what it was. I now see behind the curtain. Okay. So, therefore, I am not going to rely on all of those fantasies that I once entertained in order to sustain me and, and guide me through life. Well, that's a great thing. Okay. Now you're waking up. So what are you going, where are you going to go? You're going to come back to yourself. And these uh, collections that I have at No More Fake News that are I call the Matrix Collections are all about increasing and expanding and developing that power, that creative power, that ability, that talent to invent the life that you truly want for yourself, your family, and for everybody else. And that power is there. It's inherent in you as the individual. That's what all of this comes back to. That's the lesson learned. Well, if these people are trying to erase the individual and make it as if it was always a fairy tale because it suits their purposes to do that, then we should really look at what the individual is and what the individual is capable of beyond what ordinary people ordinarily think all the time. Let's go there because that's the key. That Why are they spending so much time and effort and energy and money trying to eradicate that? Why is that? Well, it's because it's powerful. It's real. And that's where people should go to see what their great potential is. So that's where I'll leave you with that. I love it. I absolutely love it. Um, and that's their biggest fear, right, is the individual and their, their potential. Um, you know, the globalists have their grandiose plans to subvert our democratic systems, processes, our, our great republic. But we don't have to let that get us down. And sure, I, I mean, I certainly believe there are these secret groups and powerful people scheming and trying to manipulate us. Um, that, once I understood what was going on, made all the sense in the world. Uh, but we certainly can transcend the doom and gloom and thrive as unique and imaginative individuals. And that is the message that I want you to take today, um, to understand what's going on so you have your eyes wide open and you can take off the rose-colored glasses and also understand that we have tremendous power as creative, imaginative individuals. We do have the power to determine our response and our, our, how we show up. Um, do we hide our heads in the sand or do we rise above? And, John, I thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, you've got the investigative uh, journalism information, uh, but not only that information, but you've got some amazing resources uh, to help tap into our creative powers. Please tell our listeners where they can find you online. Nomorefakenews.com. That's where I've been for um, 15 years now, and everything is there. 
You can read my articles. You can sign up for the email list, and you can read about my three Matrix collections and order them right there. News stories practically every day. Okay, nomorefakenews.com. And we will certainly have a link to your website on livingwealthyradio.com along with the podcast of today's show. And uh, really, thank you so much again for coming on Living Wealthy Radio. really enjoyed it. Thank you so much, Teresa. I really appreciate it. It's been great. You've been listening to Living Wealthy Radio, heard around the web on livingwealthyradio.com, iTunes, and Blog Talk Radio. Download or subscribe to our podcast to hear a new show every week. I am Teresa Kuhn, and I hope you'll join me again next week as I show you ways to live wealthier. Resources are available for you on our website at livingwealthyradio.com. 